Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you and your life. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Now, the last few weeks, uh, if you've not been with us, we've been looking at different ways in which we can have the type of church that is just so exciting, so uh, uh, so. Uh, uh, just reflective of Jesus Christ and, and all the different things that that people would be excited about coming to church. Have you ever been excited about coming to church? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. there have been times when I've been excited about going to church. And, and if you think about uh, those times in your life, maybe you uh, had an opportunity to go uh, hear Billy Graham in person, or maybe you. Uh, I, I remember one time uh, uh, we had at our church a, a couple of different, really uh, wonderful uh, preachers, wonderful people that came, and and uh, people were excited about being at church. We had uh, Christian comedian Grady Nutt that's no longer with us, but uh, was just a, a tremendous uh, humorist and was able to turn everything uh, that he was saying humorous around to uh, sharing the gospel always with, when he shared. And he would share a lot of funny stories, and it was a lot of fun. I remember... Uh, we had uh, one preacher that came that uh, was a uh, well-known evangelist in the area. He was 107 years old when he first came uh, the first time to us. And, and he came back and preached at our church uh, several years later. He was, I believe he was 109 or 110 at that time. And he, uh, uh, the only concession that he made uh, at that time was instead of standing the whole time he preached, uh, partway through the, the service, he uh, sat in a chair and preached instead of uh, standing the whole time. But he was a dynamic... Um, he was a dynamic speaker. He was, he was uh, just so uh, uh, enthused to share the gospel message and, and people were just excited to come and be there at church. And I remember those occasions and uh, we would have church and, and people would come early. They would There was none of this coming in after the first couple of hymns or anything like that. Now, let, let me just put it this way. I'm glad you're here at any point. You come uh, uh, anytime before the invitation. I'm happy that you come. Uh, so don't, don't hear what I'm saying. I, I'm glad that, that you come, uh, even if you might come in a little late. I go to, I'm late to some things myself, and, and sometimes those things are unavoidable. But uh, when it's something... Spe- I mean, if you were to have uh, Charles Stanley come and preach in our church, or if you were to have, uh, uh, when he was still alive, Billy Graham come... I mean, if you had Billy Graham come now and preach, I think everybody in the whole county would be here uh, simply because he's dead. And, 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 but um, if, you, if you had somebody like that come and, and be here... 
Uh, don't you think you'd be here maybe 30 minutes, an hour early? You'd be here because you'd be excited and you would want to make sure I'm going to be there in time. Even if they don't have the door open, I'm going to stand at the door and wait for them to unlock it so I can get in. Uh, what would it be like for us to have a church that's constantly like that every week? And and this is not a sermon to uh, encourage you to find somebody else to be your preacher. I hope that I can. It's not all about being. <coughs> it's not about a cult of personality. It's not about uh, who you have as pastor. It's who you have as Lord and Savior in your life. And we talked about for several different weeks different things that need to be a part of our uh, of our personality as people of Christ. Uh, and this goes beyond just these four walls. It's, it's, uh, it's what we need as Christians to have in our lives so that we can draw people into an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, to draw people to Him. And we first uh, talked about having this uh, just crazy love that just goes beyond uh, uh, anything that might... Uh, age groups goes beyond... Uh, politics goes beyond uh, personalities, goes beyond uh, any uh, of those things that typically divide us. And we just come together and love one another. And, and it, when you have a church that is so loving and that has uh, just such a wonderful uh, peace about it and such a wonderful spirit about it that people come and they instantly feel as though they're loved and instantly feel as though they're part of the body of Christ and they instantly feel as though they're home. That says a lot. But for, unfortunately, a lot of churches, a lot of bodies of believers stop at that. They think, well, if we could just be a loving church, if we can be a place where everybody feels like they're home, which I feel like this place is too, uh, that, that's just a wonderful experience to be a part of and people love it when they find a church that's like that but that's not where you stop the second attribute that we talked about was uh, having a church and a, a place in which uh, when we come together we uh, we share the the gospel message we share the bible plain and simple we don't uh, make the bible say anything it doesn't say we don't uh, say the bible says something it doesn't say uh, we just simply place the uh, the word of god forward and allow people to hear the word of god and we allow god's word to speak for itself we allow uh, the word of god and we stand on its truth we uh we uh, aren't the type of church where we co uh, come up here and we stand and we talk for 30 minutes and then uh, get around to reading a passage of Scripture and then go home. Uh, we, don't, we don't have homilies. We don't have time where you read the Scripture and then you talk about what was read in the Reader's Digest or in a family circus or anything like that. We, we allow the Word of God to speak the Word and we need to have churches where uh, the Word of God uh, stands and is... Uh, uh, believed and, and upheld and that's the second thing third thing was what we talked about the last time that we were on this now this wasn't last week because we weren't here sunday night this was the sunday before that that we had the sunday night service and and uh i'm not going to ask you again if you remember because uh, we had a disaster the last time i asked if you remember uh, i'll just tell you what it was uh the the last thing was uh having a, a body of believers that are generous of heart we look looked at Paul talking to the Corinthian church about how 
they needed to be generous and how they needed to be like the church at Philippi. Now remember the church at Philippi was uh, not wealthy, not well off. They didn't have a lot, but they gave a lot. They were willing to give of themselves and go beyond uh, the expectations. They, they gave when they didn't have uh, the ability to give and they pleaded with the opportunity to give. And uh, uh, we looked at how we need to be kind of people that are just open and generous and when people have a need and when people have a desire uh, uh, have uh, something that they need in their life that we uh, that we uh, when they share their need in their life that we're generous and that we give we give more than just money that we give of our time our talents our abilities our love our uh, our our efforts that we do what is necessary to help people out and I think that's uh, clearly seen many times when we are going through a disaster and when we see people like on uh, and the Carolinas uh, go through a, a hurricane and, and people flood over there to help out and, and do everything they can to help those people pick the pieces of their life back together. But it's also necessary to have that seen in the church life, in our everyday life, when people have things fall apart in their own life without necessarily a disaster like their house burning down or a tornado coming through or anything like that but just simply when people have a great need of having a great burden in their life maybe it's just simply to have someone to speak to when uh, their children are, are, are just acting out or, or uh, having someone to be there for them when a family member passes away or just simply being uh, the kind of people that come together and unite with one another when they're going through the most difficult times and being willing to give of ourselves. And now the fourth thing that we need to look at, we'll see here in Matthew chapter 17, uh, 16, and that is we need to be the type of church that shares the magnetic personality of Jesus Christ, that shares the, the uh, not the, the personality, look, I don't ever want to hear you go out into the community and say, oh, you need to come to our church and listen to our preacher. He's just such a great preacher. Now, I hope I'm a good preacher. I hope I share the Word of God. But I'm nothing without God's Word, and I'm nothing without the truths that are found in God's Word. And if I didn't have that, then there, I wouldn't have anything to say when I stand up here. Uh, it's not about me. It's not. It shouldn't be about... Uh, when we go out... and. I, when I went to my first church, and, and uh, this was a church uh, over in South Carolina, and I was still wet behind the ears. I, I, uh, the ink was still dry on my seminary to diploma, and, and I was just, I had been preaching for a while, but I hadn't been preaching regularly. There's something to be said. You know, a preacher, uh, let me just let you think about this for a minute. Um, uh, you know, I stand in front of you, and in most weeks I preach three times a week. How many weeks are there in the in the year? Fifty-two weeks. So how many? And if I'm here every week except for two weeks, uh, maybe a vacation or something like that, then how many Sundays do I preach? Fifty weeks. How many? Uh, so you take fifty and multiply by that by three. How many times do I stand and deliver the Word of God? On average, about 150 times. There's no amount of preparation that gets you ready to, to stand and deliver the Word of God 150 times in a year uh, other than just simply doing it. 
You, it, it's just, it's, there's just nothing in your life that prepares you for, for standing in front of people and speaking uh, 150 times a year. Uh, there's a lot of performers that don't perform 150 times a year um, in show business. Uh, but I don't ever want it to be said that, that the reason that people come to church is because of me standing in front of the church, uh, the church and preaching. My first church, I was there and I, I was uh, going out with church members, visit people in the community, and uh, uh, they would, uh, we'd go up and I was kind of just there at initially just to, I do things sneaky. I don't tell y'all everything that I do. One of the things that I did with uh, this particular church was is when I was there, I, I went along with them. I wanted to go along with them to go visiting, but I didn't say much of anything. And it wasn't because I was shy or it wasn't because I didn't want to talk. It was because I wanted to listen to them and hear what they were saying to people when they went out uh, to visit people in the community. Why? Because I wanted to hear their understanding of what it was that they were coming to church. And when I went out with these folks, they said, well, we need you to come to church because we got a new preacher. You need to come in here and preach. That's the wrong thing to say. Uh, I didn't point it out to them then, and, and it was quite some time later after I'd gathered a lot of information and everything, but it's not about me. It's not about, it should never be about the preacher in the church. It should never be about uh, the man standing behind the pulpit. It should be Jesus Christ. You need to come to our church because we hear about the, uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hear about God's love. And we're, we get, we get we, when we come together as a body of believers, we hear so much about God's love. And we, and we just uh, get so close to God when we come together and worship. That's what we need to, to share with folks. You need to come and be, a part, uh, be with us. Uh, uh, we want you to hear uh, about God's love. We want you to hear about what God's doing in our lives. We want you to hear uh, all the things that God is doing in our community. We want you to know about the love of God. Those are the things that we tell people when we go out. And that's really what ought to draw people to church is uh, we ought to be about sharing the fact that it's Jesus Christ they're going to meet, not me behind the pulpit. It's, we, ought to, we ought to be pointing people to Jesus. Look, uh, everybody take a minute, and if you brought your Bible, look at this Bible for a minute. Take it and look at it. Look at it. Look at it. Now, how long did it take for for it to be written down. It took a long time. There was there was lots of I mean, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years from the Old Testament manuscripts all the way through all the stuff that was written during uh, that we that we today call the New Testament. All of that took hundreds and hundreds of years to to finally all be inspired by God. Uh, in the lives of men to write the first time. And how many people, how many books are in the Bible? 66, right? How many different writers? More than 66. There's some books of the Bible like Psalms that have multiple writers. Okay? Now, you take all of those writers and all those hundreds of years and, and you start, if you start reading 
those of you who've who've read the Bible through and in, uh, in, uh, in a year or in uh, in your lifetime, I don't know. Uh, I, I hope you read it through each year. It, it, it's a blessing to do that. But if you do that, you'll see that from Genesis all the way through Revelation, it's pointing one direction to Jesus Christ. Everything that is in the Word of God is not. It's not all about. Moses and about the law and then all of a sudden get switched over to uh, Jesus Christ. Everything in the Bible is pointing to the cross of Calvary and everything in the Bible is either pointing towards it or pointing back towards it. In the Old Testament is always pointing towards the time in which uh, which God will deliver His salvation plan, His plan of of redeeming mankind. In the very beginning in Genesis, uh, it's not even about the third chapter, uh, we read about the fall of mankind, uh, fall into sin, and sin uh, just decimating the relationship between man and God. And then from that point all the way forward is pointing to the thing that that God said to Adam and Eve, Eve as He's drop-kicking them out of the Garden of Eden. He's saying, look, there's coming a day when there'll be, uh, I'll provide a sacrifice for you. He's, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about uh, the redemption of sins. He tells them, look, until that time, you're going to have to shed blood in order to sacrifice. But it, there's coming a day when I'll atone for your sins completely. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And okay, so all the way through the Old Testament is pointing to the cross of Calvary where God will reveal His salvation. Then once that happens, everything after the Gospels is pointing back to the cross of Calvary. Uh, From Acts all the way forward, it's always talking about what Jesus Christ has done for us and that coming day in which He'll make it complete when He returns back again. So, if everything in the Bible is all the way through is pointing towards Jesus and pointing back to Jesus, then when we come to study God's Word, what do we ought to do? We ought to be pointing towards Jesus or pointing back to Jesus. We ought to be constantly focused on Jesus Christ, not on feeling good. And look, there's some preachers that want to stand up and talk about feeling good and want to talk about making the best and the most of your life and all this kind of stuff. And look, if you have a good relationship with uh, with Jesus Christ, your life's not going to matter a whole lot in terms of how you feel. You're going to feel better but simply because you have a relationship with God. And it doesn't matter what goes on in the world, then all the things that happen to you, you're going to be focused on Jesus Christ. You're going to be focused on your relationship to God and you're going to be looking forward to that time when you reunite with Him uh, one day in heaven. So... We ought to be talking about Jesus and we ought to be pointing people to Jesus Christ. And that's what happens here in Matthew chapter 16. I bet you thought I'd never get to it, did you? Okay, I'm here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. Now, this uh, this area of Caesarea Philippi, this is kind of, of a uh, resort area. It's set in near the ocean and it is a place of of 
solitude. It's a place of rest. It's a place where Jesus kind of is getting together with his disciples to get away from the crowds a little bit. Kind of a time in which he can recoup from after all this time that he's been inundated, mobbed by people trying to listen to what he says. And he so he goes off to be with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. And when he gets them alone, he says, look, I've heard some people say, whom do, whom do people say the Son of Man is? And he, 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 it's kind of like he would say today, look, I've been hearing a lot of talk about who I am and who are people saying that I am? Now, Jesus can't hear what... I mean, let, let's just be honest. If you were somebody uh, that instantly had fame and fortune and all this kind of stuff, you would you would not be aware of, of all the, the things that people are saying about you. And so Jesus is kind of asking His disciples, you know, what is it that people are saying about who the Son of Man is? And he's, he's really saying about Himself. And they said to Him, some say that you are John the Baptist, and some uh, say Elias, and others Jeremiah, and... Uh, or one of the prophets. Now, what he's what they're saying here is is look. Uh, he, they said, look. Some people are saying that you're John the Baptist come back to life. Because John, remember, John the Baptizer was alive at the beginning of Jesus' uh, ministry. And remember, Jesus goes down uh, over to the Jordan River, and and John's baptizing people because he's calling them to repentance. He's not calling them necessarily to a relationship with Jesus because Jesus hadn't started His ministry. But He's he's calling them to repent to be more devout Jewish people, to start following the law and being faithful to God and having a right relationship with God instead of simply being, well, let's just put it plainly, hypocrites. I mean, and we got a boatload of those people around today. Uh, People that say that they are a member of a church, uh, put in today's terms, hey, oh yeah, I'm a member at so-and-so church, or I'm a member at Mount Olive Church, or I'm a member at at First Baptist Church, or wherever church. And they kind of allow that to just lay out there and and get them a little bit of gold star on their uh, shoulder or, uh, or... uh, to make people think that they're a righteous person or something like that. But then they go off and they do all kinds of other stuff, kind of like the people we were talking about this morning about uh, these apostate people that that say that they are, have a relationship with God and then turn around and, and prove they don't. Now, um, so... Uh, Jesus is asking them, well, what do people are what are people saying about me? What are they um, what are they saying? And uh, some people are saying you're uh, John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was calling people to repent, to be back into a right relationship with God, and they saw John as someone who was a radical because he was what? He was out in the wilderness. He was eating locusts and he was wearing a, a, a camel skin a, a clothes and, and he, was, he was just a wild woolly guy out there in the wilderness calling, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember that was his message. Repent. And uh, Jesus went and, and uh, began his ministry there with being baptized and then went into the wilderness and uh, it wasn't soon after that that John was uh, taken by Herod 
And he had been preaching a lot of things against Herod, and Herod uh, later had his head chopped off. So uh, it was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that John was executed, <coughs> martyred, and uh, he. Uh, so some people were saying, "You're John the Baptist, come back. You're just somebody like John the Baptist that's getting ready for someone who's getting ready for the Messiah." Some were saying that you are Elias, and and what they're saying here is you're Elijah. Now Elijah, remember, he didn't ever die. He was taken up into heaven by uh, uh, God, and, and he never really died, and they was never his body was never found, and they never buried him. He was taken into the presence of God uh, by God Himself. And so they were saying, you're, you're a re, uh, you are the reappearance of Elijah, a prophet of God, somebody that is uh, uh, not coming before the Messiah, but maybe somebody that is a precursor to the Messiah. And, and uh, then it says, some people say that you are uh, Jeremiah, a prophet who is declaring the coming of the end of the days. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet who uh, preached a lot about eschatology, about the end of days, about the time in which God is going to bring judgment upon the world. And so they're saying, well, you, you are John the Baptist, somebody that is coming before the Messiah is coming. You're uh, Elijah, somebody who is... Uh, going to usher in the Messiah, or you are Jeremiah, somebody who is uh, talking, who's going to profess about the end of days when they believe the Messiah would come. And so these were all typical responses to uh, who Jesus was. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that today, they say a lot of things about uh, Jesus. There's a lot of people that want to say, well, hey, I, you know, uh, there are and there, rightly so, there are even uh, uh, people who are uh, in cults who who say, you know, well, I I, I believe Jesus walked the earth. I, I had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door the other day. They uh, knocked on my door, and I was eating breakfast, and I was sitting there. It's kind of hard to go run and hide away from the Jehovah's Witnesses when you are a pastor and you know what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe and, and you uh, try and encourage people to uh, witness to Jehovah's Witnesses if you have the tools and the, and the ability to do that. Um, plus, but there's, you know, there's just certain times you don't want to be messed with. You want to just simply take care of yourself. You know, you want to uh, have a nice meal, sit there. But anyway, I went to the door to find out what uh, they wanted and it was Jehovah's witnesses and um, they were sitting there and wanting to talk to me about that and I said look I know who you are I know what you believe and uh, you don't think I know what you believe but I do know what you believe and it's not what I believe it's not the truth I said you you don't believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God oh yeah we do hear what they say oh we believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God you know who they say that Jesus Christ is, is actually uh, uh, Michael the archangel who uh, God sent to, and they, uh, they claim that he was sent to, uh, to be the Messiah by God, that he is the firstborn of God, he was the first creation of God, but not actually God incarnate. We believe that, that Jesus Christ is God in flesh who came and, and gave his life on the cross of Calvary so that we would have, you know, and more importantly, he, 
He allowed himself to be subject to all the temptations that you and I face. He, God limited himself in bodily form so that he could take all of, the, all of the temptations, all the trials and difficulties of human life that we face and face them himself and preserve himself as the perfect sacrifice so that he could give himself on the cross of Calvary. He who knew no sin took upon himself the sins of the world. And the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't want to believe that. They just want to say he was, uh, he was uh, uh, the archangel Michael and he was a creation of God that came and, and served a purpose of dying on the cross for man. Um, and there's a lot of other cults that, that will agree with you that they will say, that, oh yeah, Jesus, look, the... Uh, uh, the Mormons, the the Buddhists, the the uh, uh, is uh, the Muslim, all of them all believe in Jesus Christ. They all will tell you that they know who Jesus is. Some of them will say that he was just a good man. Some of them will say he was an enlightened being. Some of them will say he was a teacher, a prophet, all those things. But the question is, what comes back to what Jesus Christ says in verse fifteen? But who do you say? that I am. You see, it doesn't matter what the world says about Jesus. It doesn't matter uh, what everybody else says about Jesus. The question is, what do you say about Jesus? And this was Jesus coming to His disciples and basically saying, okay, school's out. Here's final exam. This is the last thing I'm going to ask you uh, uh, that you need to, to know uh, before you go out and you share with everyone who I am says, it doesn't matter what everybody else is saying about me, if I'm Elijah or John the Baptist or uh, Jeremiah, who do you say? You, here you are, you, and we were talking about this just a little while ago. Uh, you uh, are, have been with, uh, he's saying to his disciples, you've been with me for three years. Uh, off and on for a year and then solid for two years. You all uh, uh, slept. Uh, ate with me, traveled with me, listened to me preach and teach. You've heard all of my... Uh, just think about all the lessons that Jesus taught His disciples that never made it into the Bible. All the different things that Jesus taught that we'll never know because it's simply not written in the Bible. All the different things that Jesus illuminated about the Scriptures... These disciples, they heard all of that. They were there with Jesus for three years. And now Jesus is saying, okay, who do you say that I am? Who is it that you say that I am? And everybody is looking around saying to themselves, okay, who's going who's gonna to be the guinea pig? Who's going to be the one to sacrifice a lamb? Because uh, they all knew most of the time with Jesus that they would, say, they would answer a question that Jesus would ask and they would... Uh, Whoever answered the question usually was wrong, rightly so, because they were. And Jesus would sit there and dice apart their answer and tell them uh, what they needed to know. And so they're all sitting there waiting for whoever's going to do this. And in comes Peter. And Peter had uh, a Ph.D. in shoeology. I mean, this guy knew how to put both feet in his mouth at one time. He was the one who was going to speak up and say what it was on his mind. He didn't. He's one of those people that 
at least with this kind of stuff, he had no filter, right? He just said exactly what was on his mind. He he was either that or he was the type A personality that wanted to ha- that thought he had all the answers. And he's a little kid that's in the front of the room, going like this, where the teacher asks a question and he and the teacher's praying that somebody else will answer instead of him. But Peter answered and he said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Let's break down a little bit what Peter actually said. Peter said, you are the Christ. Uh, this is, uh, you are the Christos. The, and this is the word that is used for the anointed one. We think of, if you've ever heard, if all you've ever heard is Jesus Christ in church and never had, ne- had never have anyone ever explained to you the title of Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name, okay? It, there wasn't Joseph Christ and Mary Christ and, and all the brothers and sisters Christ. That's not His middle name. That is a title. Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ. That refers to the fact that He is the Anointed One. There were several who were considered the Anointed Ones. Uh, and this was... Uh, the anointed one is something that was bestowed upon people of great renown. Uh, one of the things that was this term was used for of being the anointed one is, uh, for instance, when a, a warrior would go out and he would valiantly lead the, the soldiers, the army of the nation to victory, and they would he would come back in, in victory and he would be uh, led through the streets and everybody would celebrate this one who is who led the nation to freedom and who led this the nation to victory over the enemies and they would set him down in front of all the people and they would uh, pour oil on this person's head and they would say this is the anointed one this is the one that God has raised up this is per, per, and, and for Israel this term was was widely used during what we call the judges. You, you remember studying through judges, uh, these people that God had lifted up to deliver the people of Israel during certain times of oppression, times of of being um, uh, 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 of just deliverance for Israel during times when they were dominated by other nations, and there would be an individual that was set aside for. Uh, by God to deliver the nation. These are the anointed ones. We don't call them Christ, but they are. But that's basically uh, the understanding was they were anointed because God had raised them up to deliver the nation. Then you have pe- other people that were anointed uh, kings. Uh, uh, go back and read in First and Second Samuel. You'll read about all the different times in which a king was selected to rule the nation of Israel, and uh, uh, Samuel or other prophets are called upon by God to go and anoint the head of this individual because they will be the king of the nation, and they are anointed ones. They are selected by God to lead the nation, and so uh, uh, they see Jesus as this anointed one, and so that's what uh, Peter is saying. Jesus, you are the anointed one of God, who is, and and but, uh, 
they don't he he doesn't say you are a anointed one one who is anointed he says you are the anointed one you are the one who has been foretold for all this time by god that he would come and deliver us you are the anointed one you are the christ and then he says something that's unique, something that probably caused all of his uh, fellow disciples, those others who, even though they though they had, and and Peter probably thought of Jesus in in a very earthly term of of well, this is going to be the this is the one that God is lifting up, the one who has come that has been, uh, and they're still thinking of the Messiah as the one who would come and deliver them from at this time their oppressor Rome. And, and give them deliverance. But Peter says something here that shocks everyone. He says, not only you are the Christ, but he says, what? Well, you are the Son of the living God. Now, this is, this is by far a step much further beyond than anyone has ever uh, talked about Jesus. And uh, Jesus notes that in what he says uh, next. He says, uh, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I uh, say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So uh, he says to Jesus, not only are you the Messiah, but you are the Son of the living God. He says, we realize that you're not just somebody who is a, a great teacher or somebody that has the power of God on them. You are God incarnate. This is, this is Peter's declaration. And so what we see here is, is that Peter is, is expressing this and, and Jesus makes this declaration about Peter's uh, uh, statement. He says, you're blessed because you have said something that only God could have placed in your heart. This is uh, look. This is one time that Peter didn't step, uh, uh, put his foot in his mouth. This is a time when Peter actually said the right thing. And Jesus said, "You are blessed because of what God has has placed within your heart." And and, and it, I really believe that Jesus is saying, "You were inspired by God to say this uh, say this declaration." And so he says, because of that, Simon, you're not going to be known as Simon any longer. You're going to be known as Peter. And there's a lot to be said about the statement that Jesus makes about Peter. And, and, uh, but if you look at the, the Scripture here, it says your name will be Peter and upon this rock. And what he's saying is... Um, Your name is is Petros, and that means rock. Yes, it does mean uh, you're ro- that you're a rock, but it means more than that. It means a small rock. And he's saying, "You're Peter. You're going to be known as a small rock." And and everybody's going to remember this statement because of the fact that they're going to call you Peter because it means that uh, that you are someone who gets a. a he gets an understanding of who I really am. And he says, and upon this rock, when he says this rock, he uses the word Petra, which is a word that means this 
massive boulder. And so he's saying, Peter, you're, you're going to be known as Peter because you've gotten a, you have an understanding of who I am. He says, and, and you have made this declaration, and, and upon this declaration of who I am, I'm going to build... He doesn't say your church. He says, my church. He says, and, and more importantly, he says, I'm going to build it. You see, so often we tend to want to uh, try and do everything we can to build this, uh, our church, build this church. This is the actual first time that in the New Testament the word church is used. And, and the word church here uh, for church is ecclesia. This, uh, this word means the called out ones. And he's, he's saying, I'm going to call out my people. And I'm going to work through you and in you to call out people to the saving knowledge of Jesus, uh, uh, and to, to have a relationship with God. And what he's saying is, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to do... Look, you have to understand something. When we go out and we uh, knock on doors and invite, uh, visit with people and invite them to, uh, to know Jesus Christ in their life or invite them to come to church, we're not... When we witness to people, we're not what causes someone to decide to come to know Jesus in their life. It's the Holy Spirit that's been working in their life. God's Holy Spirit's been pulling them, prodding them, calling them to a relationship with Him. God's been working in their life. God has been dealing with all the things that are going on in their life and causing things to happen in their life to have them look to God for an answer. And when we come around and knock, it could very well be that they've been saying, God, please send me someone who has the answer. Please send me someone who can share with me how I can know you, that can tell me the answers that I've been looking for. I've been searching for something. And when we go and we knock on the door, we're the answer to their prayer. When we share God's love with them, when we share with them the message of Jesus Christ, we're the answer that they've been searching for. And it's not that God, that we're providing them anything. Look, God's been working in them. They're ready. They're coming. And let me tell you something. It's an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing to be there. And you can, after a while, you can kind of sense it. You can know they're ready for an answer. They're ready. They're wanting. And you can share with them the message of God's love. And they're, and they're ready. It's like, it's like a, being in a, uh, on a, uh, it's like being at the honey spot. You know what that means in fishing terms, right? Some of you guys that go fishing, that's the place where you know that when you drop that line in the water, that you're going to get a snap. You're going to get a pull on that line. As soon as the, uh, the, your line hits the water, you're going to have a fish ready to just jump at it. And that's what these people are like. They're just ready to jump at it. They're just ready to come into the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And he says, look, we we um, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to let you be a part of it. I'm going to allow you to have an opportunity to, to receive the blessing of being a part of my building of my church. He says, I'm going to build the church on this declaration that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, this is what is going to come up. And there's a lot... I've heard whole sermons 
being preached about this part where he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what a lot of people want to say, I just want to say this. This word, What he, Jesus says is not, and the gates of hell will not prevail. We're going to set up a wall and we're going to keep uh, hell out of heaven. No, what it's talking about is in terms of soldiers going and, and they're uh, getting ready to go bust into the city and take siege of the city. And he's talking about the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They're saying the gates of hell will not be able to withstand this message that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And that, and we're just going to bust open the gates of hell and we're going to go in there and we're going to be pulling people out of the clutches of, of Satan and we're going to be pulling people out of, of an eternity of hell with the message of Jesus Christ. With this message is what's going to be pulling them out. And pulling the, it's going to be like... Uh, you, you're just throwing the lifeline out and, and you got people just clamoring to, to grab hold and be brought into safety. And Jesus says, this is what's going to bring people in. I will build my church and there'll be nothing that will prevent it from growing. Listen, you need to understand something. When God's ready for this church to grow, the only thing that's going to stand in the way is you and me. You and I are going to be the only thing that's going to keep this church from growing, and because God, uh, but God's going to do it with or, with or without us. He's going to want us to be a part of it. You and I have to decide if we're going to be people that are loving. I have a just crazy mad love for people that loves them despite what they've been involved in, loves them in spite of all the drugs or alcohol or philandering or anything else that they're getting a part of that they think that they're not worthy to be a, uh, a child of God because of it. We need to go out and tell them, look, we love you. We don't care what you've been a part of. We don't care what you've gotten mixed into. God can take you and, and cleanse you and make you whole again. And we just want to love you into that process. We need to be the kind of church that not only loves them, but that, that we stand firm on the Word of God, that we share and declare the message of Christ faithfully and truthfully from His Word, that we are people who are loving and generous, that, that have our arms open wide and we're ready to give whatever it takes to reach out to people. And lastly, we need to be a church that is not pointing to some preacher, not pointing to some uh, fancy building, not pointing to a music program or, or any other uh, program that's going on, but pointing people to Jesus Christ because that is what's going to cause people uh, to know Him as Lord and Savior. That's going to change lives by pointing people to the love of Jesus Christ. That is what's going to make this the kind of church that's going to be so dynamic, so overwhelming. Now, we've got the love part. I think we're the kind of church that loves people so much. And we, we need to be, make sure that we've got all these other things, that we have all these other aspects. We're good with some of, some of the others. We need to make sure that we've got all these aspects because that is what's going to point. Uh, look, uh, Jesus says in the book of John, He says, Look, and I, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all mankind unto me. Jesus is the magnet that's going to pull people into this church. We've got to make sure that we commit to Jesus Christ, commit to, his, uh, to living and serving Him, commit to allowing Him to grow the church. We can't think that we're going to do it ourselves, but we need to allow Jesus to work in and through us.
to bring people in. Let's pray.